So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Tuesday edition of Everyday Connection. Me over here would be Rico Shields, and over there would be Jane Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jane? I'm good, Rick. How are you doing? Good. That whole thing always confuses me. I'm here. She's there. Wait, I thought everything was here. Now. Oh, it is. Here we are. (laughs) Uh, Indeed, here we are. And of course, here I giggle, and we need to uh, extend out our thoughts and prayers to all of the folks in uh, the aftermath of Superstorm Sandy. It has really made a mess out of the East Coast. Yes. Yes, it has. Yes, yes, it has. You sound confused. Yes, yes. You trying to track well, down I'm the echo here. like me? Yeah. <laughs> I, am. I am trying to track down the echo. Um You don't you have the show open. Oh now we have a guest. Um uh, Diane, if you have our show page on Blog Talk open, if you could mute the sound on that page, it should stop this. Uh, oh, I don't have uh, my computer on at all. So oh, Okay. Yeah. And now I have my Speakerphone on. Let me turn that off and see how that helps. Yeah, that usually ends up with feedback. So, yes, it's been um, a hell of an adventure out east, down yeah. south for me and out east. Um, so thankfully, it it died a lot quicker than they anticipated. So, um, yeah, they did that's, talk about you know, it a little bit of light. Yeah, well, and we did. Uh, I joined with a group yesterday that was, you know, sending the dissipate. And uh, I don't ever really join groups that meditate to try to make a storm go away. <clears throat> but, you know, because I, Earth needs to move. Hurricanes are essentially energy redistribution, heat redistribution. But, you know, so Earth needs to do that. But... um you would think you could just send them up the center of the Atlantic and not bother anybody, but but um, but as I said on one of my posts on Facebook, a lot of tremendous energies, you know, requests, even demands for change and the energies of change, and there'll certainly be a lot of change going on because, uh, well, Wall Street was closed for the second day today. That's not happened since 1888. Um, 
New York has had subways for 108 years. They've never flooded. And uh, everything that goes, all the subway tunnels that go under the rivers are flooded, and and most of them in lower Manhattan. Um, Con Ed. Can you imagine New York without subway system? Oh, it's five million people or something ride them every day. And uh, it must just be insane over there right now. Uh, and I saw one aerial photo of a taxi yard in New Jersey, and the taxis were all up. You you could see the roofs, but that was about it. Uh, so taxis probably out at least from that company. Um, wow. And uh, so they're pretty paralyzed up there in New York City. It's uh, uh, the city that never sleeps got put to bed last night by uh, Andy. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm it, it's unfortunate, of course, that um, and, and sad in, in the instances that there have actually been injuries and um, death as a result of the storm, but I can't say that it could be too bad for New York City to take a day off. No, not at all. And almost always... I'm sorry? We should do it without the storms. Well, yeah. and uh, But if it takes a storm to show that Occupy protesters and Wall Street bankers, you, you can bet they'll both be on the same side of the cleanup line. You know, things like this happen, and the strangest of of bedfellows, so to speak, come together. And um, because compassionate action moves everyone. And uh, uh, I know after the the last big one here that that literally took some of the coastal communities in the Galveston area, which is about an hour from my house, um, and just wiped them clean, scrubbed them clean. No more houses, no more yards, no, just sand. And, uh, you know, left them looking like man had not really been there. That everybody, uh, I mean, goodness gracious, even the two presidential candidates here, neither one of them said anything about the other one. Neither one of them said, you know, they, they both were just like, look, this is a time to forget all of that and come together and hunker down and weather the storm. So, um, Well, most certainly, most certainly. And it was really heartening to see, um, to see the public attitude towards natural disasters really, really changed. I mean, there's so much talk with it building up and just, you know, people just stating quite plainly, Take the day and and you know get get away, hide, do whatever you have to do to be safe. That's the priority right now is being safe. Um, so it's you know it's encouraging to see that mentality that yeah good let's shut down Wall Street because money life hmm let's see yeah you know what screw the economy we need to survive. And and that's good because it's times like this that show us where our priorities should be. Yeah, and uh, so I, I suspect that on the ground there, even if it doesn't make it into the media, that uh, neighbors are shoulder to shoulder working on 
helping each other out. And, uh, well, we could do with a whole lot more of that and, and, and are getting a lot more of that. I talk like there's no shift going on. <laughs> but <laughs> but this is part and parcel. These things happen. And, you know, like I told uh, uh, Mary, uh, who's up there close to Stacy. Uh, last night, she and I were commenting back a little, back and forth a little bit. Uh, I had posted a cartoon of a animal, I think, hanging onto a street sign, you know, blowing in the wind, that said, you know, hang on. And I said that, you know, we know the feeling down here in Houston. We've had several, and I've actually weathered a couple offshore during my previous BC before croaking uh, life, and uh, they're icky. But in their own way, they're really quite beautiful. Uh, watching those circular clouds coming, particularly when I was at sea, and you could really see it. And uh, one big Fibonacci sequence coming at you, you know. Saw a satellite picture where somebody had overlaid that, you know, Nautilus Fibonacci sequence graph. Looked right. like it, yeah, it looked like it was an outline of the storm. They were perfect overlay, and uh, uh, it is part of the functioning of, you know. The way things are, at least right now on the planet, current tilt and rotation and all that hoo-ha. Uh, tropical well, the, it's, cyclones move energy. They move heat. That's what they do. It's, it's interesting to note that um, when you can remove yourself from the idea of what losses the storm is going to cause in your own life, you can actually appreciate the majestic beauty of the storm. Um you know, we've really, as a society, we've put ourselves in a position where these storms can do vast amounts of damage to not just us personally, but our entire way of life. But we, we've orchestrated that. We've set ourselves up for that. Um, and And in doing so, we've lost, I think, our appreciation... And I know it sounds like a strange word, but our appreciation for the beauty of the storm. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes I I used to when I lived in Kerrville, I lived up. I had an apartment for a while that was up on top of one of the hills and overlooked the Guadalupe River Valley. And and uh, springtime, sometimes in autumn, but usually in spring, thunderstorms would just come barreling down the river valley, and I could literally sit up there on my balcony and watch, and I was just almost the same height as some of the lightning that would, you know, where it was starting to go down to the ground. It, like you say, when you divorce yourself from the fact that the next day the river would be flooded and we always lost people in the hill country on low water crossings, never understood that either. Uh, today's technology and predicting, I don't understand how we lose people to hurricanes. But... Um, when you can divorce yourself from that, it was just a majestic beauty, uh, uh, a, a glorious thing. These, uh, The power contained in that storm could have scrubbed that entire eastern seaboard clean. And, 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 and so really when you look at the amount of power stored up in one, it, it uh, the damage is fairly slight. Of course, those folks in Staten Island that woke up to a, a tank ship up on a street uh, are probably not happy. But 
No, I mean, I'm sure it's quite a shock. And I'm not, I'm not um, belittling the fact that these storms cause massive amounts of damage and loss of life. Um, certainly not. I, I, my heart goes out to anyone who's been affected by this storm or any of the other natural disasters that we've weathered in the past few years, as it seems to have gotten steadily, progressively worse. But the eternal optimist in me hopes that once again, you know, we can do what we do so well as humans is take the good out of the bad and learn from the experiences that we have. And when we can unite as a community in order to help our brothers and sisters out, then the storm has had a positive purpose. Hey, some folks in lower Manhattan down there in the finance districts and all of that are going to discover that you can survive two days with no market. You can survive two days with no cell phone, no iPhone, no text, no instant message, no, you know. And and uh, some of them may even discover that it actually feels good. Yeah, and to do that. Uh, and and that would be a really positive thing. The market hasn't been closed for two days straight since 1888. They didn't close the market for two days after 9/11. Um, and if anybody needs a day off, it's those guys, because oh, telling you what they live such an intense existence. Like they're, I I certainly couldn't keep up emotionally with with what they go through in a twenty four hour period. The energy that they expend, you know, throughout a day is just insane, and they do need a day off. It's a shitty way for it to happen, but. You know, if even 10 out of the thousands of them that there are take a second look at their life and go, hey, I really enjoyed that two days of not being stuck to technology, then then that's 10 more who've, you know, had a chance to reflect on on how they're living their lives. And that's, again, a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... We've we've more than passed the patience test for our guest uh, that we always go through at the beginning of the show. Uh, at least this was semi-important to talk about. We know often banter about baloney, but uh, we do sometimes. Hey, yeah, hey. Well, baloney's a lot more fun than a storm. Come on now. Uh, but we're we're fortunate and, and uh, blessed to have with us this evening uh, Diane Shelton. How are you, Diane? Well, Rick, I'm I'm delighted to be here. I'm really looking forward to, you know, having a conversation with you. And I appreciate that you jumped right into the talking about the storm and the impact that's had on so many people's lives because it's um you know, it's a it's a really big deal. And these really big deals um really kind of show us who we are and you know, I, at one point I lived in Washington, D.C. for about 23 years, something like that. And I was there when 9-11 took place. And I was there when the um, snipers were, the, the D.C. snipers, and a lot of things that happened in Washington that were very impactful. And really what it did was, I mean, of course it scared people. Uh, there was no doubt about that. But people really moved beyond their fear and they really just embraced one another in ways that I'd never seen the Washington, D.C. area 
actually respond. So it was really nice to see that. And I'm, and I, you know, on Facebook, it's been um, really wonderful to hear from people that have been, you know, in the midst of it, that they're okay, and that you know their their lives aren't in shambles. They may have lost some things, but they're they're really okay in the core of them. To me, that's really what it's all about. Absolutely. So well, you wanted me to some of the some yeah. of the finest well, of in folks comes out in situations really like does. this, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, sometimes, to the surprise of the person doing the finest, is more so than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's another one of those. Did I do that moment? <laughs> yeah. So, so Diane, we're gonna um, we're gonna get right down to the most important question of the night, and then we'll go from there. Our, our trademark. Um, we should copyright tra- or trademark, trademark this question. question. Yeah, copyright question, trademark question. Um, just so that our listeners have an idea of of what you're all about, I need to know who the hell you are and what you do. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much for thanks so much for letting me um, you know take this time, and I really want to thank everybody who's tuned in to you know for your interest in these subjects that I'm. Um, about to bring up, and I'm sure you're, they're not new or or unique to you. Um, I, I guess what I want to talk about first is just how ordinary I am, just a, a really regular kind of a gal, you know. And but I've had some very extraordinary experiences, and as I've kind of moved through my life, um, I, I've come to realize how kind of ordinary they are in another dimension, another level. And um, uh, really uh, have taken my, kind of my whole life has uh, made a lot of twists and turns um, so that my uh, my work actually reflects uh, everything that I've, um, you know, experienced and all, all that I've come to kind of put together from that. And it, it was a, a long, slow journey. I'm 88. No, no, I'm not really at all. I, I'm. Uh, I just like to play a little bit, but um, uh, I did start meditating in the mid 70s, and to me that was probably the most important thing that I ever decided to do. And I, I can't really say that I decided. I was just absolutely wretchedly miserable, and I was looking for some way that I could, um, you know, find some relief from that kind of misery that I had created for myself. Although at the time, I, I really wouldn't have said that I had created it. My life had, had, had sort of victimized me. So, you know, it was a really um, kind of major uh, adjustment to uh, suddenly start to feel like I was in charge of my life and that I was, um, you know, able to use this technique that I had learned and um, through meditation and really be able to contact something in me that was much greater than the circumstances that I was faced with on a you know daily basis and it was like a guiding like a GPS that I just uh, didn't know existed and as I became more and more familiar with it like many of you that have been meditators um, I, I really learned that um, you know that uh, if I just let go if I just could let go of all my preconceived ideas about things, all my beliefs and all my limitations and all my, 
you know, need to know, my need to understand, my need to, you know, to just be in control, that um, I started to really realize that there was something much bigger than myself that was kind of, you know, running this ship called me, called us. And, um, you know, it was just the, the adventure of uh, of that. And there were some big experiences that I had that were mind-blowing that uh, I'd like to share with you, Um, uh, not because they're big and flashy and and makes me special in any way, but because really, you know, um, I'd I'd like to use this analogy. um, When I started meditating, there wasn't a lot that was really written about um, meditation and there weren't, you know, gurus that were really available that you could go to. And, um, you know, later I would find some teachers that were very available, but not when I first started out. And so that really made me kind of um, self-reliant in a way that I'd never been before. And um, But it also, uh, what it did was I I read these books, uh, Autobiography of a Yogi, and probably many of you have read that. And I also read uh, a book called The Play of Consciousness, which was by... Baba Muktananda, probably not as well-known as Yogananda was at the time, but a very powerful um, teacher and uh, guru. You know, the word guru just means the destroyer of darkness and the bringer of light, you know, and people have misinterpreted that in so many ways where they've really given their power away to a teacher. But, you know, that's just never useful. It's never useful. You know, they're they're like just guiding lights. They've... They've been through, they've jumped through some hoops and they've, you know, had some experiences. But those experiences can be anyone's. And so when I read these books, you know, I thought that their big flashy experiences were really going to be big and flashy. But um, I realized something um, that was really important. And I I want to say this about what I'm going to share too because it's it, when you take something out of the context of the experience uh, and you talk about it you know you kind of like put it up on a little um, pedestal and you talk about this experience you know you're not really in the energy or the experience of that and so it sounds um, it sounds big and flashy so a lot of their experiences about consciousness uh, sounded big and flashy to me but as I just kept on with my meditation practice I I really realized that um you know, they were just kind of ordinary. They were like breathing and meditation. They just happened. And it was, um, I was thankful that somebody had brought it out of that subtle level and shared it because then, you know, I, I realized, oh, you know, that's not so big and flashy. That's kind of subtle. And I could have missed it. And that's what I want to talk about today because, you know, so much of what is going on now around this change that we're all you know, so fortunate to be living at this time and going through. Though I can't say it's like the big storm. You know, I don't think that anybody has has just skated through this and said, you know, oh, this has been a piece of cake. You know, I I think that we've all had major, like, loss and major challenges. And it's kind of like, you know, digging down to the bottom of the barrel and just going, what is this gunk that's still down there? But, you know, it, it has to come up so we can sort of see it. And um, and and be with it. So um, let's see. Our dear friend uh, Veronica Torres often says, "Well, you can't have change without change." <laughs> <laughs> yes. People change. go, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of like, you know, we, we all long for it, and at the same time, it's like this push-pull relationship to it, you know, like, oh, my God, do I have to go through this? Yes, yes, you do. So that's, um, you know, I... I um. Oh, let's see, where should I start? Let me tell you a, uh, one of my earliest experiences that I had because this one blew my mind. And uh, it was something that I didn't understand for years and years and years. So, you know, I was thinking about, like, what were the f- a few things that I wanted to say? You- you're going to soon realize that I jump all over the map. So if you have questions, don't hesitate to bring me back to, you know, a, a point that makes uh, makes sense uh, in the moment. But we we assume uh, that spirit will will take you wherever you need to go. <laughs> okay, great. I like this. This is great. Um, so, uh, what I, um, you know, there were there were a couple different things that I wanted to say, and uh, and when I went to acupuncture school, there was this huge thing that came up for me that just was like it just stopped me dead in my tracks, and we were learning about the different elements and the different organs in the body and we were talking about the stomach official because they think of it like as a personality each of the different organs does different things and very different than how western allopathic physiology thinks about organs and and their functions but they said in the stomach they said there's kind of like this little uh, phrase for each of the different um 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 organs or officials and the stomach's kind of like phrase is don't rush to early ripening and I thought oh my god that is so profound don't rush to early ripening it was talking about how the stomach assimilates things it takes it in and it um, and then it digests it and then it assimilates it and it trans you know refers it to the spleen pancreas and the spleen pancreas sort of like makes um you know um, the um, the blood that then all the nutrients are sort of spread throughout the whole body mind spirit and so I thought, wow, you know, I've been so quick to kind of um, uh, put things together for myself. And living in the unknown was a very difficult place for me, but I realized how absolutely important it was. So this first experience I want to tell you about was an experience that happened to me when I was um, living in um, San Francisco back in the um, late 70s. And I'd been meditating for, I don't know, four or five years, something like that. So I moved there with this man that I was thinking about marrying at the time, and um, he was um, going to be on call at a little boutique um, hospital. Uh, he was in his internship of medicine. I'd been uh, engaged to him while he was in medical school, and so you know it was a big deal. Finally, we were going to have a little bit of a life, and he had gotten this great um, um, this great opportunity to be at this small hospital in San Francisco, and there were a lot of interns that were going to be there. So he was only going to be on call every fourth night. And that seemed like really like a nice thing. So what happened was we got there, and of course many of the interns didn't show up. So now this guy I was engaged to um, was on call every other night. So it didn't take long until he was basically just crazy. I mean, you know, not sleeping, never having had a job, and now he was responsible for, you know, really helping people to to live. Um, So it was a big, big deal. And after a few months, um, 
we had this conversation, and um, um, he really got enraged. He just had a short fuse, and you know, I I couldn't blame him. I probably would have had one too, but he pushed me, and he I almost fell all the way down these stairs. And I thought, you know, what am I doing? So I just left and I wandered around the neighborhood and then I kind of came up with my plan. I just felt like I really needed to leave and just let him do his thing and me do my thing. So I um, I didn't really want to get back into a big conversation with somebody that really couldn't think clearly. So I just, I waited and then I went home late and then I got up early and I was roaming through the streets of San Francisco and I was thinking, oh Lord, I'm going to make this work for myself. How am I going to make this work for myself? And I kept coming to the fact that I didn't have enough money, you know, that I was short some money in order to get my my break. And so I just, um, I was thinking, okay, how much do you need? Rather than just stopping there, I thought, well, what do I need? I have this much. What more do I need? And when you hear this amount, uh, you know, you're going to laugh because, I mean, but this was in the late 70s. It was only $300 that I needed. And so I thought, $300, wow, okay. But still, when you don't have $300, it seems like a lot, and I needed it right then. So I turned the corner, and now I was down in the the um, um, the business district on Market Street, and um, I looked, and uh, all of a sudden there was st- like something blowing down the street. Now this was at right at rush hour, so there were a lot of people out on the street, and they were going to work and going to school, and you know it was a it was a busy time. And so I looked, and I thought, oh my God, I can't believe this, and it was money. And the money was blowing down the street. Now, what is so amazing about this is that, you know, if you saw money blowing down the street, even if you were a millionaire, just out of the pure fun of it, you would probably try to catch, you know, a bill or two in your hands, um, you know, just because. Nobody seemed to see the money and nobody seemed to see me. So I'm zigzagging back and forth across Market Street, a very busy street in San Francisco, especially that time of day, lots of people. Nobody else is moving towards the money. And I, of course, catch all these bills and, you know, I'm totally out of breath. I sit down and I'm catching, I'm I'm counting it. And, of course, you know what the answer is. It was $300 in $20 bills. And um, so I was just stunned and I sat there. And I, you know, immediately my mind wanted wanted to make up a story. And see, this is what's so important. I wanted to make up a story about how I'd gotten the money. And so I totally blocked out that nobody else was running towards the money. And I just, you know, decided that, um, oh, you know, this money had, maybe somebody had lost the money. So I went home with my $300 and uh, I called the police department. I said, did anybody turn in a you know, a report for missing money, and of course nobody did. And I called over the next six months to find out if anybody had been missing this money. Never was a report placed. So then I decided, oh, it had to have been a drug dealer, you know. And it probably, they probably had hopped on the bus and, you know, I mean, I just made up this whole thing. You know, probably a drug dealer wouldn't be hopping on the bus and maybe I would have gotten several thousand dollars if it had been a drug dealer. It just, I couldn't really wrap my mind around it. All I knew was I had the $300 and, but I was, you know, somehow I just was unsettled about it because I couldn't figure out how this had happened. So, you know, that was a pretty amazing uh, experience and, um, 
it wasn't until really years later that I had other experiences that I started to think, oh, wow, I wonder if that actually maybe happened in a another dimension and really people didn't see it and they didn't see me. And, um, you know, so it just was a question mark, a big question mark. So, you know, um, I went to acupuncture school and uh, I just uh, I moved back to the East Coast. My dad died. I moved back to the East Coast and I went to acupuncture school in Maryland and, uh, and had a really lovely, you know, couple of years studying there, actually three and a half, I think it was. And um, and then I started a practice and I really felt like, oh, uh, maybe I had really discovered what it was I was supposed to do. You know, all my life I had felt like I had some calling, like I was really supposed to do something and I didn't know what it was. And I'm sure many of you have had that same experience where you just felt like you, you know, you were meant to do something and you just couldn't quite land on what it was. So, you know, I'd been through lots of different jobs and lots of different kind of beginnings of careers and just hadn't felt like it was really a hit. But, you know, doing this acupuncture felt like it was really pretty close to what I was going to do, and I felt like maybe it really was it. And I, so for years I just sort of basked in that, and I felt like, wow, this is, you know, this is lovely. So, you know, I was in and out of relationships, and I had this um, one relationship end, and I was just devastated because I felt like this was really the one. And, um, you know, afterwards I thought, you know, what am I doing with my life? Am I just going to kind of, you know, kind of go from one thing to the next? Or, you know, what do I really want to do? And I thought, by then I'd been meditating for about 20 years, and this was like in the early 90s or mid-90s, and I said, um, you know, my soul has been talking to me for years, and I really haven't listened to it that much. I've, you know, I've taken advice that I've gotten from deep inside and done something with it, but I really felt like I was at this point where I wanted to start to stitch my inner life and my outer life together. And, you know, before that, it had just been I'd been taking workshops and I'd go and I'd take a workshop or I'd go to this ashram that I was now part of and take an intensive. And then I'd come back and just be in my life and kind of, you know, it was like a nice event that I'd had. But I hadn't really started to sort of, you know, look at like, okay, how do I create this bridge between my inner life and my outer life? So I thought, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Rather than focusing on my suffering, you know, I realized I wanted to be organized around, and that's still this huge question that I ask in my practice of everyone I work with, what are you organized around? What are you relating to? Are you relating to suffering or or pain or struggle or symptoms? Or are you related and are you organized around the absolute truth of your inner higher self, your soul, your I am presence, however you want to speak about it, you know, that divine spark, the God spark in all of us, that's it's there just as strongly in you as it is in me, as it is in, you know, was in the Buddha and is in every great being who's ever walked this life. There's no difference. That's where we're all absolutely equal. It's just really whether or not we're going to polish that 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 stone. Are we going to make it into the diamond in our pocket or is it just going to be a lump of coal that we're not going to pay attention to? So anyway, 
what I ended up doing was I said to myself, okay, I'm going to really start letting my soul guide my life. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm just saying right now out loud to the powers that be and to my own inner self that this is what I want to do. I want to really live a life of, of conscious, you know, um, movement towards oneness, towards, towards wholeness within me. And I'm going to let my soul give me the cues. So, you know, I, I really felt great. I went to bed and I, uh, and I thought, wow, this is really, this is it. I finally, you know, sometimes pain just leads you where you need to be in order to make the next step. So I was feeling really fulfilled. And I went to bed, slept easily, woke up at about 3 o'clock in the morning, and <laughs> these were the words that came to me from my soul. Take the national exam in acupuncture. And I remember just sort of waking up and thinking, well, that's an odd request, you know. Why would I want to do that? I live in Maryland, you know. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I could be grandfathered in. I don't really need the national exam. I, I really love where I live. I love my friends. I love my practice. Everything is just hunky-dory. Why do I want to do this? So I was kind of already arguing with my soul. <laughs> I thought, okay, I get it. I'll, I'll, so I'll handle this in the morning. So the morning came, and I decided I would I would call the national. I forget what the, it all means. NCCAOM. It's the National Credit Accreditation Board for uh, Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. So I called them up. And they were in D.C. at the time, and I I, I said, well, hey, when are you going to have your next uh, national exam in acupuncture? And they said. Well, the deadline for signing up for that is today, and it's going to be in San Francisco. And I thought, wow, you know, I lived in San Francisco. I'd really like to go back there. So I got in my car, went down, paid for it, you know, came back. And I'm on the way back, I'm thinking, oh, my God, that was a huge amount of money I just laid out. And I only have eight weeks to study for this big body of knowledge, you know. So I, um, I thought, okay. I'll just come up with a game plan, and I kind of had this loose little plan about how I was going to do the studying I needed to do, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I was feeling a little anxious and uh, kind of like, oh, gosh, I wonder if I can get this done in that amount of time. Was that really silly for me to do it? And I was thinking maybe I'd call him the next day and see if I could just, you know, postpone this. But, you know, I went to bed, and I just thought, okay, I'll just, you know, it'll all come together. Went to bed. Woke up again at 3 o'clock in the morning, and this time this inner voice said this. Do not study for the national exam in acupuncture. Now, this time I sat right up in bed, and I said, what kind of idiot would do that? I mean, I just paid all this money, and then I realized, well, you know, I'm going to be that idiot, I guess. So... You know, I'll spare you what happened over the next uh, eight weeks, but uh, basically I was just trying to manage my anxiety about this. And and then I finally just sort of settled into it. Okay, I'm going to go. So what if I make an idiot of myself? It's like, you know, lots of people have taken this exam, you know, you know, a couple times before they passed it, and they were very smart people. So, you know, if I don't pass it this time, I'll just have to take it again, blah, blah, blah. So... um I, you know, I fly out to San Francisco, hadn't studied. I get there and I think, boy, I better walk some. I just feel like I, I'm I'm just kind of coming out of my skin, you know. And so I I decide I'm just going to go into Chinatown. And I hop a bus, go into Chinatown. I'm just wandering around. You know, one thing is leading to the next. And I, um, 
I find this, um, I smell incense, and I'm, I realize um, that there's something going up on at the top of this brownstone in an alleyway in Chinatown. So I thought, well, I, that's kind of curious. I'm going to see what that is. I open up the door, and it's a this. It's the oldest known Buddhist Buddhist temple in North America. And so I make my way up, and these lovely, uh, you know, women that don't speak a lick of uh, English um, meet me there, and they let me in, and they show me around. And it's just teeny tiny little temple, and um, you know, there's red lanterns for honoring the deceased of the people that came to that temple, and then there's um, you know, there's all sorts of, um, uh, uh, you know, statues of Quan of Quan Yin, and then they tell me that it's a Quan Yin temple. It's this huge, beautiful statue of Quan Yin, and I'm kind of transfixed by it. I just, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm mesmerized by this beautiful face of this, you know, the deity, um, uh, uh, the, the Buddhist deity of um, Quan Yin, the goddess of mercy and compassion. So, you know, I just, I, I can hardly break my um, looking at her, and tears are kind of streaming down my eyes, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm amazed at this. So I'm, um, so these ladies take me, and they sit me down, and they, they want me to do something I didn't know what it was. They wanted me to shake these sticks. It turns out that they were yarrow sticks, and they were part of this divination uh, of the I Ching. So you know the the sticks fall out, and they 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 tell me that it it means that um they bring me back this piece of paper that's in English, and it says a whole new world is about to open for you, and the traveling will be wonderful. So I think, wow, that's kind of like a blessing, you know. So I I I'm getting ready to leave, and I um I just stand there for a minute, and I say, you know, look. I'm here because of my soul. I really don't have a clue about what I'm going to do, but I'm supposed to take this national exam tomorrow. And if there's anybody here that can help me out, boy, would that be great. And then I just left. Went back to my room, you know, got settled in, slept really well. You know, next morning I got up in time to take a walk and to have breakfast and, you know, and all that. And I get into the exam and it's time for the exam to start. And, um, you know, I had wanted to sit right under the nose of the person giving the exam so I wouldn't have to think through layers of stress. And that's exactly where I got seated. And everything was just moving along really nicely. And, uh, you know, and then the bell rang and the test was, we started taking the test. And I opened the test and I thought, holy moly, what have I been thinking, you know? And, you know, it was a really hard exam, as you can imagine, as any major trade is. So next thing I know is that there's two huge beams of light standing right next to me, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what is this, you know? And, you know, I really couldn't take time to think about it. It's This is the written part of the exam, and, you know, and it's got every tradition that, of acupuncture, which are, there are a gazillion, uh, is represented in this exam. So there are all sorts of obscure questions and it's, um, you know, and lingo that different traditions use that other traditions don't use. And and I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know. But I just thought, okay, well, I'll just do my best. And so, you know, that same game plan that you would have come up with, I came up with it, said I'll just answer what I know, which was about three questions. <laughs> and then I would just do my best at guessing. So I'm in that stage where I've been guessing for a while now, and I'm looking up and to my right, which I – often have a habit of is just looking up and sort of staring into space off to my right 
but this time something unusual happened and uh, there was like movement way, way far away. And I thought, what is that, you know? And uh, as I just was looking at it, something was zigzagging back towards me and it was kind of moving slowly towards me. And then it got to a point and I thought, oh my God, that's a book. And, you know, you're really going to wonder about me when I tell you what happens next. But <laughs> this, I realized that I have some ability to bring that book right under my nose and the book opens up, and it looks like it's a million years old, and I'm thinking, what is this possibly going to have for me? Well, it just happens to be all in English, and then it just happens to be highlighted with yellow highlighter. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what is this? You know, I've never had an experience like this. And so, you know, I start reading, and, of course, you already know what happened. It's um, It's just chock full of information, but... Aside from that, what happened was really the amazing thing was I could feel that I was being, that something was being transmitted to me. Something was happening inside of me like this process that I I didn't understand. And so I kind of let go of this book and I felt like I... I don't know, I just felt aligned with something. So I started looking, I went back to the beginning, looked at all the questions I didn't answer. Before long, I was answering questions like I knew them. I was just, you know, these things that were presented were, you know, hypothetical situations. Which would you do? Would you do this, 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 or that? And suddenly, I was just, I was just answering the questions. I was changing answers. I was, I was doing all this and that. And I thought, you know, I only need a 70 on this test to pass. You know, I mean, and I just I thought a 70 is not that big a deal. I mean, maybe I can really pull this off. So I just, you know, I went back and answered all, and, and it, I finished the answering, make, making all my changes, and the bell rang, and the tests were collected, and I thought, okay, that's it. So, you know, I, I, there's other parts to the exam, but they're like hands-on things and stuff that you know just from, you know, like point location and um, clean needle technique and these sorts of things that, you know, you have to know in order to practice acupuncture. So, you know, even though I hadn't studied that for a while, it was stuff I was using in my practice every day. So I, I wasn't really too concerned about those two tests, but this written one was really the big deal. So I got home and I just thought, okay, it'll probably be six, eight weeks before I hear anything about this. And, you know, fast forward six or eight weeks, and of course the the letter comes and I'm thinking, it doesn't matter. Really, I almost didn't open it. I said, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that I followed my soul and I really did what I said I wanted to do. And I, I, you know, I, I looked at my resistance and I just went beyond it. And so, of course, I opened it up and I'd gotten an 88 on this exam. It was just an unheard of um you know, score, and I just, you know, really thanked the powers that be in my soul, and and just felt like, okay, I'm I'm run, off and running now. And double. So numbers, that was the too. beginning. Yeah, I felt really good. Eight, like eighty-eight. The, eighty-eight, like really good luck in Chinese, you know, yeah. um, in the world of Chinese, it was pretty cool. That's extraordinary. So you cool. know. It, it really, it really was. It was. I've, uh, I've had some interesting experiences taking tests over the years, and uh, uh, I've not had the floating book with the highlighter, but have, <laughs> have answered things that before the test and after the test I know nothing about. But exactly. apparently, apparently during the test, I knew it better than 
99.98% of the testing population or whatever. It was quite interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that, Rick. I really am. You know, and I, I shared this with an acupuncture friend of mine who recently uh, had uh, she'd been sick and she'd lost her national exam certification, so she had to reset this exam. And uh, it didn't happen exactly like like this for her, but it happened in a huge way. And she never studied, and she took the exam and repassed the exam. So I, I think it really is about um, that we step into something, we align with, we let go, we align with, you know, other possibilities. And in doing that, you know, what happens is really kind of miraculous. It's like learning to doubt our doubt, you know, learning to doubt, really just learning to suspend disbelief that things happen the way we've been taught that things happen, you know. You have to work really hard. You have to study real hard. Now, obviously, in some other lifetime or some other existence, I, I knew something. You know, I've had I had flashbacks since then of when I had been in acupuncture in another lifetime. So, you know, I think it was just my soul was letting me really have that experience of letting that information come through me so that I had access to it. And so, however it is that we glean into um, wisdom that is not our everyday kind of wisdom. But I, I'm I'm delighted to hear your story. Yes, we're Such not. Such a cool story. We're not all insane. We're, we're, <laughs> no, we're no. just crazy. <laughs> we're, we're just crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really it's the, true. Uh, it's the age of Aquarius sneaking up on us, actually. Yeah, it, it is. It, it it really and truly is. In fact, we're and. and on that note, I'm thinking that that means we're about to take a musical, short musical break. Yes, yes. We've with reached the, the halfway of our friend Jolene. point here. And I, well, I thought great. that would be uh, appropriate, you know, we we're talking about San Francisco in the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's a perfect wouldn't, song for it, actually. It wouldn't know anything about yeah. Age of Aquarius or that sort of thing over there. So, <laughs> so we're going to take a brief break, everybody. Uh, Run for the uh, washroom, the coffee, the tea, the whatever it is that does your thing. And we'll be right back. Stay with us, folks. Everybody has a story, a moment in their life that was a turning point that set them upon a path of self-discovery and adventure. Here at Everyday Connection, we value the sharing of those moments, recognizing them to be the inspiring and uplifting gifts that they truly are. We would like to show our appreciation, not just to our guests and sponsors, but to our listeners and supporters who make it possible for us to share those stories. If you would like to support the continued success of Everyday Connection, share your own story, or know somebody whose story can touch the hearts of others, drop by everydayconnection.me and find out how you can become a part of our ever-expanding EC family.
Welcome back, everybody. That was weird. We usually can hear the song end, and we didn't get to hear that because we were off in the green room, which I don't, I guess that's a TV thing. I call it the green room. It's the yellow button. We have, I have a red button, a blue button, and a yellow button. And the red button means look out, everybody's listening, like they are now. <laughs> I assure everyone, for your own safety, I'm having decaf so that I won't motor mouth too badly. It's actually easy to prevent that with. The brilliant guests that we have. So why do we why do we call it the green room? Why can't we call it the yellow room if it has yellow button? I guess we could. It's the yellow. It's like one of those little cartoon speech bubbles looking things. The red button's a mic, and the blue button is a mic with a big X on it, and meaning that we can you know talk. So so we'll call it the yellow bubble from now on. The yellow bubble. Because that sounds so much the yellow bubbles. Because it sounds so much more fun than the green room. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> we're floating yes. around in a yellow bubble. We yellow all live in a yellow bubble. Oh no, that was a submarine. Okay, <clears throat> we could call it the yellow submarine. That'd be all right. <laughs> Why not? No, I like yeah. All right. Well, we've got about thirty-five minutes left. Uh, we do want to be sure. I, I I could sit here around the campfire and uh, because I know from your bio that you have plenty more uh, experiences that sound quite extraordinary to me. And, uh, and I well, love the fact sounding that more you work. make it so that you make it so uh, 
um, well, that you may get a prior. I'm stumbling for words today. I don't know what's wrong with me. Oh my goodness! You may get a prior- priority to explain to people that you're just an ordinary individual and that these experiences could happen to anybody. And um, that's so important, so important for people to to grasp. It, it really is. I, I think it's kind of the the most essential piece of it all. You know, it's like, it's um. I mean, we're really in this place now, where in this age of Aquarius, where you know, there really aren't leaders. Uh, you know, there are people that have done this and done that, and people aren't really looking for gurus, but they're they're looking for some tips. You know, they're looking for some tips, like what, you know, what do I do? How do I make this work for me? You know, and um, you know, I, I think that um, uh, this next six weeks or so. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what really does happen. What, you know, as the frequencies um, shift, there really are uh, different opportunities. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'd like to tell another story because um, this one to me is is probably gives a little more of a glimpse into, um, you know, what we tend to push away, and uh, when we can allow. Uh, ourselves to be aware of um, these kind of things that are just under the surface, just under the surface, and allow them to be as important as what's kind of on the outer level. Then we start to we start to be able to uh, enter into uh, you know just a relationship with the subtle and. Um, You know, I don't know where I'm going with all this, but I wanted to say this. Um, You know, the mind is a tool of third dimension. It's always, um, you know, it's always uh, analyzing and it's always um, kind of trying to predict things and it wants to know and it wants to grasp and it wants to, you know, kind of own um, some, you know, information so we're not clueless or we're not kind of lost. Um, And what happens is that, you know, it really is a tool of duality. And this, you know, the thing that was wonderful about studying Chinese medicine was, you know, Taoism is really the philosophy that's um, kind of under the underpinnings of Chinese medicine. So you're always looking at how you can take somebody out of this, the yin and the yang, the dance of the pairs of the opposites, you know, good, bad, right, wrong, better, worse, black, white, you know, um, up, down, yes, no. And the mind is always sort of strategizing about how to, you know, how how to have things happen, how to understand it, how to put it in context. But, you know, these other dimensions are not like that. They're not governed by the by the mind. They're really not. The mind is a tool that can be used uh, to just sort of, you know, to hang out with it, but not to really um, try and lock in and say, oh, this is what happened. Like the, the, the experience I shared in San Francisco where, you know, I just wanted to do away with the, the part that was really the most important part was nobody saw this money. Nobody else was running after it. You know, the money was real. It I, it, it paid, uh, you know, a, a, a bill that I needed to pay, paid rent for a new it. apartment. Yeah, but, but you know, nobody saw me. Nobody saw that and nobody saw the money because I don't care who you are. If you know money's blowing by, you're you're just going fun of it. Don't try to. Yeah, <laughs> me. I'm really. You know, if you'd been there, I would have had a really hard time. I might only had 150 dollars. You know. <laughs> so, you know. 
not really happy, but it was puzzling. It, and, and it was a great puzzle to just take with me year after year, like, now what the hell happened, really, you know? So um, so this other experience uh, that I wanted to go to, I, uh, you know, I'm jumping around. I, I guess there's going to be time for people to ask questions if they want to. But um, this something happened in 1996 after that acupuncture exam that was really uh, a, li- a life changer. It was a phone call that I received that absolutely changed my life. And uh, I would never have known this. I, I was, it was... I forget what time of year it was. I think it was in the autumn. But I was really exhausted, and I, I just had been sitting on the sofa. And all day long, it was like a Sunday, and, and just time had gone by, uh, like, you know, just hours. I'd look at the clock, and it would seem like I'd just been three minutes since I looked at the clock again, and two hours would have gone by. And I'm thinking, holy moly, you know, I just I felt like I was just on the verge of getting sick. And I'd been talking to somebody uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. I lived in Washington, D.C., or Tacoma Park, Maryland at the time. And and um, what ended up happening was um, I just had hung up saying, I just I can't talk. I really, I just got to rest somehow. I, re- I don't know why I feel so tired. And I hung up the phone. And, you know, and as soon as I hung it up, this was back in the day when you had the wall phones, you know, it rang and it just, it just kind of startled me. And the phone almost jumped into my hand and, and who was on the other end was just a mind blower. It was this woman who I had consulted about maybe a year before, six months before I had a cat that was sick. She was a pet psychic. And I didn't know her at all, really, at that point. And she called me up and she said, um, I'm calling to give you some information. And I said, oh, I said, oh do you think we have an appointment today? Because I, I, I just didn't write it down. I, I, you know, I don't remember having made it. And she said, no, no. I'm just calling you because I want you to understand something. She said, you're really, really tired and you don't know why. And I thought, well, that was pretty psychic. And uh, I said, yeah. I said, I don't know why. And I'm just wondering if I'm getting sick. And she said, no, you're not getting sick. She said, but you're exhausted. And I said, yeah. And she said, "Uh, because you have another job that you don't know about. And there's this long pause. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, is she like crazy (laughs) you know but i'd had just enough experience with odd things to think maybe she knows something that i don't know so i just listened to her and she said um think about what happened this week and i thought okay and what had happened was that there had been that pan am flight that had gone down and off the coast of uh, new york just after uh, jfk and uh it had blown up and um everybody on board had died and um, she, I said, was it that Pan Man flight? And she said, yeah. And she said, you don't know this, but you have a job helping people cross over. And uh, she said, you just haven't kind of been able to get into that dimension enough to really experience that. And I said, you're not kidding. And she said, well, you do this. And she, she said, you do it in times of crisis. And she said, it will be really important for you to know this uh, later. So I said, okay, and, you know, we got off the phone, and that was that. So fast forward to, um, of course, you know where I'm going to go next, to September 11th, 2001. And I'm living in Washington, D.C., And um, but it's not Washington, D.C. that I'm seeing in my mind's eye when I close my eyes to rest. I'm seeing instead scenes of, uh, you know, of Ground Zero in, in New York City. And uh, I'm also seeing a whole 
like um, a, a whole group of people that are look ashen. You know, they're just they are in shock. They're ashen. They're you know they don't really look like they're alive, and, and in fact they're not. But they don't know that they're they're you know they're confused. And so I'm just seeing them, and my heart is just opening, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, is this what I think it is? And um, then I hear this voice of this woman, and she's giving this talk, and she's, you know, very soothing, and she's talking to this group of people, and she's saying, you know, you've made the ultimate sacrifice, you know, you don't remember having agreed to this, but you did. You agreed to, um, you know, to be in this this huge experience where it was a turning point in the evolution of of humankind, and um, you won't be going back to your lives. And um, you've actually died. And uh, but but you know the this is how the direction of your life was meant to be. And people would cry and they would, um, you know, there would be a lot of just disbelief. There'd be people who would argue. They'd say, no, no, I need to go back to my life. There were just all sorts of things. And it was just really such a heart-wrencher. And then suddenly I realized, oh, my God, I know that voice. And it was my voice. And I was the one that was giving this talk. And I was soothing these people. And I was... And I thought, oh, my God, I'm losing my mind. This was really huge because now I was having these experiences of these other dimensions simultaneously with being, you know, sitting in my house in, in Silver Spring, Maryland. At that point, I lived in Silver Spring. And um, and really being quite aware that I was also in um, in this other dimension and very present to these people that were... Um, you know, in between dimensions uh, where they had really, they had passed away in horrific ways, and many of them. So they, they all needed different information. And this went on for weeks. Every time I would close my eyes, there would be this, there always would be the same thing. There would be about maybe 20, 25 people, you know, and, and that I could see, and they would be waiting for this um, kind of um, uh, information that I was going to share with them. And then eventually they would just settle into the fact that, yes, they had moved on. And, um, you know, it was very, very touching. It was very um, uh, emotionally kind of overwhelming. And, again, I flashed back on my, you know, conversation with this woman, Kay Mann, who was a pet psychic, who by then was dead. So I just uh, I felt very grateful that she had told me that, you know, so I was able to just um, to just be with it. So, you know, that experience happened then and it was very profound. And um, and then, you know, uh, Katrina, lots of other things happened. Haiti happened and and I didn't have the same job. Now I was actually, I was writing emails to people and saying, you know, telling them about my experiences and that they had these jobs now and that they were there helping. And I got back... You know, I don't know how this email, I just sent it out and it got forwarded all in all directions. I got emails from people all over the world that, you know, said, um, thank you so much for writing this. And yes, I, I realized that I was one of those people that was helping out in, in Haiti. And so, you know, it was kind of really neat because uh, I just realized that it just like the rest of the world, you know, there are all, all these different different jobs. We have at different times and we get promotions or we get demotions or whatever it is but so um 
But it gave me a lot of uh, freedom to start realizing that there was so much more going on. And um, so, you know, I, I, I moved around a lot. I, 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 the next five years were really powerful. I went to India. I had been working as an acupuncturist nonstop for 20-some years at this point, and I was really tired. I was tired of, um, you know, uh, I, I loved the work, and I loved my clients, and I just was tired of, of I was tired of, there was something about it that wasn't fitting for me anymore because it was a structured system and you know you you took pulses you read the pulses you read the energy and you did these you did these points in order to help people and that was all great but i just could feel that there was something in me that wanted to really let go so i went to india and i did panchakarma i studied with this uh, guy i studied ayurvedic medicine with this guy in in india and at the same time i was receiving these treatments and these treatments were like oh my god they were panchakarma they were about clearing toxins from the body mind spirit and um so I was having all these very profound experiences. They were doing this thing where they drip warm oil over your third eye called Shiradhara. And Shiradhara, I, just, I remember when that oil first hit my forehead, it felt like it cracked bricks. And then this whole world burst open, and there were these deities that were inside of me. And they were, they were actually giving me gifts, and they were... They were you know, blessing me and performing these these pujas to me. It was really an amazing experience. And then I came back to the United States, and I um, I'd spent some time in an ashram there in India. And then I came back to the United States, and I'd been gone for about three three and a half months. And and I just thought, okay, I'm going to settle back into my life. I'm just going to do it differently. And I couldn't. I just couldn't. And you know, months were going by, and I just could barely get off the sofa. And you know, I was working with the clients that I had, but you know, I just, I really realized I, I, I just wanted to take some time off. So I sold my house at the top of the market. I got a little bit of money, you know, that I, I had in it, and um, I had bought a, a used RV, and I was just fixing it up and planning to. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just was going to take some time off. So I took off with my dog, and we just toured all over. Mostly I wanted to go out to the West Coast. I felt drawn there, and I ended up you know, um, spending a lot of time in Mount Shasta, California, which I really didn't even know about much, you know, um, but I just was so drawn there. And, um, you know, all sorts of things were just happening. And I, finally I realized that this this little trip I was taking was not so much about me um, – you know, learning where I next was going to live, like I kind of thought in the back of my mind, but it was really about me experiencing places in nature that were a frequency that I needed in order to open something up. So I landed in uh, St. George, Utah, the beautiful red mountains of St. George, Utah, and and I just uh, went in very deeply, and I could feel something was really emerging and I'd only been there for maybe six weeks when I got this, you know, this conversation from inside that said, you know, you need to go to Germany now. And I thought, oh, my God. So it was just for like two weeks. But I went to see this <laughs> this great being, um, uh, you know, a, a, another guru that I I, um, I didn't have a real deep connection with, but I needed to be in her presence for a while. So I went there, and when I was there, I traveled with a friend, and um, I got 
um, so um, whammied by this light. And um, I don't know what else to say. I would wake up at night and I'd be floating in space, just kind of hovering over the same, like, kind of trapezoid-shaped lights that were in space. And I just, I felt like I was coming apart at the seams. I got... Um, what I would have called sick, but I knew enough not to call it sick that I was just having this huge clearing, clearance as if, you know, spending all the time in India hadn't been enough. So I, um, I mean, every orifice was releasing something. I had this horrible cough. And, um, you know, my friend that I was traveling with just kept saying, you know, you you, you really need to go to the emergency room. <laughs> and uh, I, I, but I didn't feel sick. I felt like I was just something was opening in me and something that had been I had been carrying inside was meeting with something that was also kind of coming down like a download. And um, and I, I just felt, I just didn't know what to think. I tried not to think at all. and But my, my body was just going wacko. And I um, was making sounds out of my ears, were making these sounds that just made me feel like I was going to lose my mind soon. So I... I came back home and I for four months I just was so anxious I just felt like I was I didn't really know what was happening and then all of a sudden it was like this I was very clear about what had been happening and there was this light structure that had um, that I was carrying and that it had been activated and that activation was now allowing me to do different work and so you know I didn't it didn't come with a user's manual which was you know just terribly disappointing so I had to figure out what is this so I started I had some friends that I just said that they would be willing to experience this and I first started trying to do it like acupuncture and that just wasn't going to work so then I just started letting the light just go and the next thing that happened was that people told me that I was in their house now it was in Utah and these friends were everywhere from California to, you know, to Washington, D.C., to Maryland, Virginia, New York, you know, um, and all sorts of places in between. And um, they were telling me that I was showing up in their house, that I was there, that it wasn't just a reflection of me or an outline, but I was really there. You know, and it was just uh, you know, it was crazy making because I didn't have any experience of being there. They said that, you know, they had felt my hand, that I had taken their pulses, that I had stood over them. And, uh, you know, uh, so after a while it got so they couldn't see me anymore and I I really didn't ever have the experience in my mind uh, that I was actually there, but I believed them because it happened so often. So then um, I started realizing, wow, this is really like this uh, whole new thing of um, multidimensionality. So, you know, um, it just, um, I started working with the light and I had my first client that I didn't know at all and she was really, really, really sick. She was in the, um, um, oh, what do you call it? The, um, not the ER, but she was in a, a, the... Yeah, intensive care. Thank you. She'd been in the ICU for um, a month, and she really wasn't expected to live. She had four-stage bone cancer. But her sister-in-law was had been a veterinarian of mine and um, wanted me to um, see if I could work with her. So I did, and I didn't hear anything from her, and it just was she kind of conked out, and I really didn't know what to think. I just... Um, 
you know, I didn't hear anything from her. And then a month went by and she got back in touch with me and said she'd like to make another appointment. And I said, well, what? I said, did anything happen? And she said, are you kidding? She said, I was on 20 medications. I'm on 19 now. I'm at home. I'm doing fine. What I'm not doing well with is I have congestive heart failure from all the medications. And I can't walk more than three feet without having to sit down for five minutes and catch my breath. So she said, I was hoping you could help me with that. <laughs> you know, and I'm just reeling, and I'm I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, when I was sending the light to my friends, it was like I I I could sort of see what was happening. It was really interesting, but with her, the first time I sent the light, it felt like it was a million miles away from her. It never went in her body. So you know, I we did another session. Same thing happened. She conked out. I really uh, it was very different than how I work now, and uh, I. Uh, she got back in touch with me and about another month went by and actually her husband got in touch with me. He wrote me an email and he said, um, we used to always go to this place that's a mountain that's not too far from where we are and we discovered some nests where these um, red-tailed hawks were and we used to love going up there early in the morning and, and just um, it would make it into this big deal and we run, we'd kind of you know walk, hike up the mountain. It was a, about a three-mile thing back and forth and he said, and my wife beat me up the mountain. She ran. She beat me up the mountain. And her doctor is just astonished because he was, you know, the the congestive heart failure was more uh, impossible in his mind than the um, remission yeah. of cancer. Modern, so modern we did, allopathic medicine would claim that congestive heart failure is incurable and yeah, reversible. Yeah, incurable. Mm-hmm. So we did one more session, and then I didn't hear anything from her. And uh, I, you know, she called, her husband again called me, and he said, um, you know, her doctor says she's not in remission. She just never had cancer. And I said, what? And that was in three sessions, and it was just, you know, she wasn't on any medication whatsoever. And I freaked out. I thought, oh, my God, you know, because I knew a little bit from talking to her about her life. And I just said, you know, and I knew from the work I'd been doing all these years that that unconscious, subconscious programming really had to be addressed. But she wouldn't have anything to do with it. She... In fact, what happened was, you know, they had $700,000 worth of bills from the hospital admission. And she decided, even though she didn't have any skills, that she was going to single-handedly pay that bill off. And so she got a full-time job just, uh, you know, two months out of uh, ICU thinking she was going to die. And then she got two part-time jobs. Now she was working about 100 and, uh, you know, 90 to 100 hours a week and I just was like oh my god this is just madness just declare bankruptcy you know just you know uh, you know see if you can make if she really wants to pay back see if you can make some arrangements that are manageable you know to to do it but she wouldn't have anything to do with that and so you know it was really a it was a turning point for me I really realized that I, I so I talked to the light and I said look you know I, I it was really fun I saw the power of this I saw what it could what it could do but I don't want to do it like that because and this was really the big thing I want it to be permanent I want these healings to be permanent for people and I don't want I need some time to really be able to get to the underpinnings what created it in the first place what was all that unconscious programming all the beliefs all the underlying stuff 
you know. And so I said, that's what I want to be able to do next. And um, anyway, she because made. I would, I would think. I would think that the the fastest, easiest way to make yourself sick is to overwork yourself trying to pay oh, off your yeah. hospital bill. Oh my gosh, it was just so crazy, and her husband was just had you know he, he was so upset. He loved her so dearly. They had two kids. And uh, and she said, I just can't talk any sense to her. I said, well, you know, she's canceled every appointment that she's made, and she just now she's not returning my phone calls. Finally, I got through to her, and she said, she said, I, I know what you mean about the unconscious program. She said, I'm trying to outrun it. She said, it's coming up for me. All this stuff about my, she said, I was adopted, I, I, and I think I was sexually abused, and I just, you know, blah blah blah. It was just this amazing story, and she said, I just can't deal with it. And I said, I said, honey, it will be just as easy as everything else was. We just have to go in and be present with it, you know. And she said, no, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm too scared. And I said, oh, please, just please, I won't even charge you. Let me just do this. Let me help you. And she said, no, 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 I can't do it like that. I, I can't live with myself if I don't pay off this bill. And I said, oh, gosh, I wish you'd rethink this. And so, you know, that was all I could really do. I couldn't do more than that. And so, of course, what you know happened, happened. It took a year. So she had a whole extra year of her life. But And then she, the cancer came back, and it came back with a vengeance. And in two months, she was dead. Her husband, to this day, still sends me clients. You know, he he saw that it could have it could have been differently. But, you know, it just... You know, it just wasn't what was meant to be. And well, so from there... I, I just yeah. have to say that seems so metaphorical for what so yeah. many of us have done and so many of us continue to do, which is to have the really evidence uh, yeah. even right in front of our face. And no, 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 I I have this debt. I have this belief. I have this thing. And it's You're always a belief structure. Right. It's always a belief structure of some sort that's really a little it out of is. line. But you are uh, absolutely right. You know, and it, it it relates back to you talked about the money. I had to make up a story. I uh, yeah, exactly. Back before that's I had I my that. little dying mm-hmm. thing, I I used to I could tell you what why they arranged the cans the way they did in the supermarket. I had a story for everything. Mm-hmm. They, I I don't have any earthly idea how many of them were accurate, but I had a story for everything. And one, yeah. you know, couldn't sleep until if something new happened, I had to come up with a story. <laughs> you know, I no sleeping, and that's where these a lot of these belief structures and things come into play. We write ourselves a story, and then there we are in the middle of it. And so you got to be careful what you write. But um, you, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I swear, it's like it's you know the that's the big thing it's our programming it's the way we've been we cling to believing that things work this way it's the way we believe our minds it's the way that we you know we believe everything we read everything that we've heard over the tv or the radio or from our teachers or from our parents and it's all been you know limited by third dimensional beliefs and you know, just like I could have made up something about the the money and then told you that, and you know, and um, and that could have been a belief that went along with it. But you know, it's just suspending those beliefs, and it's really like um, it's realizing that it, life 
it's just a game. It's a game. It's like that that great book that um, Baba Muktananda wrote, The Play of Consciousness. That was such an incredible thing for me to have read, because it 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 really was about seeing that you know we just we're here. We're the whole thing is a conspiracy to awaken us, and yet we get so caught in our struggle and our suffering and our and our stories, and uh, those stories then anchor us, mire us in this. You know, and we can't get out of it. One of the things I saw, uh, you know, as I was working with the light was I saw, oh my God, how complex the subtle, you know, um, creation is that there are structures and there are morphic fields and there are, there are matrices and there are grids and there are all sorts of things that, you know, help to kind of hold that third dimensional belief stuff in place. So, you know, um, there's a, there was a somebody I studied with, and he um, he created a, an organization called the Art of God, and he had this statement, and I had borrowed that statement from him, and that statement is, "It is my choice to be only what," and it's a capital I and a capital A-M. So it's it's like it's my choice to be only my soul. It's my choice to be only what I am. And that statement allows us to start to organize around the truth of what we really are, this big presence, this I am presence, this great being of light that we are, rather than this small, little diminished, limited, little being that is at the... Is at the um, um, the effect of life, you know. It's instead we become, it's like we're all ascended masters in training, but we just keep saying no to the training and we keep saying, I want to, I need to figure it out, I need to understand, I need to, you know, it's like, and that's where we get trapped, always coming back to the mind and letting it, whatever it tells us, you know, that we believe that and then we, you know, it's it's um we we just have such discomfort in living in the unknown and living with what we don't. I, I, and I'm in that category as well. It's like, you know, all these experiences. There was nobody that could tell me what was going on, and I felt like I was going to lose my mind. Um, you know, and at some point I didn't care anymore because it was so painful to have that mind. You know, that I thought, let me just, you know, cut it out. But you know, what I realized was it's really about this unconscious, subconscious programming and that we create these things called morphic fields so that we just default all the time to, you know, something happens and we default to feeling a particular way because our parents felt that way. We watched other people not respond to life but react to life. We saw them react with anger or fear or insecurity or you know, whatever it was, and then we realized, okay, then we made up some little belief about that. You know, when things don't go your way, get pissed off, you know, you know, because that's what my parents did, or, you know, or get, or get, you know, get sad or depressed because this happens. And so before long, we have this morphic field that actually creates that little, that little connection. And then, you know, we start to go in some direction and we start to feel, but you can unplug from those morphic fields. It's like reaching out in front of you and just grabbing that and pulling it out and saying, I'm not going to go here anymore and plugging it into the Ascended Master way of dealing with life, of experiencing love and joy and all that. So, you know, 
I could go on and on and on, but I, you know. Yeah, we're reaching uh, reaching uh, close to reaching our time, and uh, okay. Uh, I do want to before we ah before we. I was probably going to say the same thing you're going to say before we let her go. We need to make sure that everybody knows how to find her, so that yeah. Absolutely. Because uh, oh, nice. some amazing Thanks. services, and, and uh, well, it's one of the things that we do. We we like to hear people's stories, and so our guests pay us with their story, and we pay them by promoting them. So oh, how that's nice. what I'm we do. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I got a great story. How, you know, how much you give me for it? <laughs> Okay, well, free promotion on our website. You know, people listening, stuff. Oh, okay. Um, what? So, do you want me to give you a phone number or an email address or or a well, website? Well, I've, I've placed uh, I've placed web web links to the uh, Quanta, the Divine Light Structure, and and your Diane Perfect. Shelton both in the chat room, and they'll be in our archive. But we have the vast majority of our listeners are podcast listeners. They can subscribe through iTunes and that sort of thing. And uh, we run, uh, well, we ran 1,500 listeners last week. Um, And uh, uh, so we always want them to be sure to get it since they're not close to a computer screen. Uh, It's Quanta, Q-U-A-N-T-A, thedivinelightstructure.com. And that's, all one run together like we do on the web, and uh, and what what kind of services and things? Uh, what hello? Oh my goodness, I've lost everyone. Okay, well, it is nine twenty nine, so we've got about one minute left. Um, I'm gonna see what happened to the Skype that we lost everybody. But uh, I'm just going to go ahead and close out and tell you that uh, we hope to have Diane back because, gosh, what an amazing life and what an amazing, uh, what an amazing story. Um, Just an amazing lady. Um, Let's see here. I don't know what's going on. Lost everybody. Everybody went poof. Maybe Quebec and Utah are both having. They're both on wireless internet, so uh, it's just you and me, Cap, <laughs> and all of our podcast listeners, and we do love you all. Um, let's see now. See, Jean would be talking while I find my calendar, but she's not. Okay, so we have Jerry Hearn coming back on Thursday uh, to talk about her Find Your Joy program. It's really quite a quite a thing. And um, then, let's see, that's... Yeah, and then we have Jeff Feria, author of The Patriots of Mars, for a little bit of a change of pace, uh, coming to join us on Tuesday. So uh, come back and see us on Thursday night. And until then, stay connected. Good night, everybody. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. 
Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your everyday connection. of your life the only question before that question how do you find the perfect ring to ask it with with the incredible selection of diamonds at jared and our price match guarantee you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love visit your local jared store today and dare to be devoted we promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer see jared.com slash price match for details so you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.